What have I done with my podcast? It's over here. What? September is missing. September is missing. Yeah, Jesus. It's October, baby. I've lost my keys as well. <laughs> You're just losing everything. Is this thing on? This is Big Green. Is this thing on? Hey, it's the lost September episode for October. What do you say? What do you say, Matt? Uh, it's not my fault. What do we got coming here? We got some kind of Ned Trek episode, don't we? Yes, it's Ned Trek 13. Super extravaganza with six previously unreleased Big Green songs. It's a musical. It's a musical. Featuring bass kazoo. It's a drama. A comedy. It's everything you ever wanted to hear and more. It's too much, perhaps too much. Then we'll get back together and talk a little bit. Matt will share some secrets from his past. You look forward to it. You will. Indeed. Please stay tuned. If you don't stay tuned, tune into something else. Ha! This is Lee Majors. Last month on NetTrek, a half-crazed chimp bit Dr. Rudy Wells right in the arm. The laboratory-enhanced monkey toxins in the chimp's saliva caused Dr. Wells to become super strong, more powerful than anyone, anyone on this planet. Gosh, I hate it when that happens. Hey, wait a minute. All that excitement happened on my show, which I have to get back to right now. Somebody has to stop that champ. I mean, has to stop Dr. Wells. Oh yeah, stay tuned for another all-new episode of Ned Trek. There'll probably be no poison chimps on that show this time, so try not to get disappointed. Space. The ultimate marketplace. These are the voyages of the Starship Free Enterprise. Its mission of undetermined length, um, until we're canceled, I guess, to seek out strange new commodities, exploitable alien workforces, to brazenly amass the largest profits that any corporation has before. Captain, I see, I see. I want to see the WD-40 coming out of your forehead. <laughs> you're, you're killing me. So why is your stepper machine mounted up on the ceiling, Doc? If it were any higher, I'd have to... I wouldn't be able to reach it without employing my rubber leg extensions. I see. You see, back when they installed that machine, the ship's artificial gravity was turned off. 
and the installer man, they just couldn't fathom which side of the room was supposed to be the floor. So they just randomly chose a spot. I thought about moving it a few times, but to be honest, it works better where it is for this here stress test. Just look how it's stressing the heavy crude out of you right now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and so it is. So I guess you must be monitoring all my vital signs on your medical scanners while I'm doing this, right? Huh? I say no. Well, how would I go about doing a thing like that? Well, I thought that machine was capable of monitoring a great variety of body rhythms, uh, blood pressure, uh, heart rate, uh, respiratory efficiency, all that good stuff. I say, you don't say. Well, I feel like I've learned something here today. Thank you, sir. Thank you kindly. <laughs> Doc, I can't tell if you're being sarcastic or if you're just an ignorant, incompetent hayseed who has no business overseeing the health of over 400 Confederate crewmen. No matter. You've got the right conservative Christian credentials. So carry on with your useless tests. Will do, sir. Will do. Captain Willard, we just picked up a distress call from another Confederate ship. I mean, it's the third one this month. What do they think, we're running a towing service or something? Captain, Sulu breaking in here. The ship is the U.S. Holy Warrior. Captain John Ashcroft, commanding. The ship has been on an assignment from God and hasn't been heard from for over a year. <laughs> Sounds like this episode is finally getting started. Mr. Sulu, make a new heading for the source of the distress call. Mr. Ned, flip ahead a few pages in the script and check to see if we're going to be waylaid for an extended period of time today. If we are, there are a few things that I might want to take care of first. <laughs> Captain Willard... I think it's safe to say that they'll have some kind of latrine wherever it is we're going to end up in this episode. I see. Don't be too sure of that, Captain, sir. I have yet to see a single toilet on any of these strange alien worlds that we've visited so far this season. I just don't understand how alien folk pull that off. Though holding it all the time, I mean. Well, to be quite honest, just the thought of some green alien function makes me freeze up tight. Even imagining that I'm in a whimsical Mormon outhouse doesn't help. You know, the kind with a little crescent moon on the door. <laughs> oh well. Mr. Ned, I'm on my way up to the bridge. It's good to be back on the classic bridge set. <laughs> Although I have to admit, I was starting to get used to the sounds of all that 19th century logging equipment. But still, with all those long drive belts going every which way, a gentleman's super deluxe hair knew no safe haven. You know, it just looks like Christmas all the time up here. Such beautiful lights all around. <laughs> That's a particularly pretty array of lights at your station, Mr. Sulu. You must feel very festive right now. Um, yes? I guess so, sir. Those controls are so beautiful that I'm tempted to believe that by pressing the right one, God himself might commission an angel to go down to Earth where he could then do some commissioning in his own right. The thought is irresistible. I'll just press this pretty button right here. Sir, no! Captain, you've just jettisoned the ship's warp core. <laughs> well, perhaps it needed a good cleaning out anyhow. I mean, sometimes you have to have your slightly paid servant back the rolls out of the garage. 
so that a covey of scarcely paid migrant servants can clean the place out. You cleaned it out all right, you numbskull. Well, now we've essentially been mastered, right? The Free Enterprise has lost its primary drive engine. We're dead in space. Now the Free Enterprise model is going to be shown on the screen hanging kind of crooked in space. Do I have that right? So why exactly do we have a button on the helm that ejects the warp core? Surely you should have to press two different buttons to do that, or perhaps one very specially marked button three times. Tactically, Captain, according to Starfleet's regulations, any starship commander that unnecessarily jettisons his ship's main propulsion unit more than once is mandated to be permanently relieved of his command. <laughs> oh dear, and I think this is the third time, isn't it? <laughs> At least. But lucky for you, after the last time this happened, I had Engineer Welsh attach a 500,000-foot titanium cable to the warp core, so all we have to do is reel it back in and reinstall it. But what about Starfleet's regulations, Mr. Ned? Aren't we obligated to convene a general court-martial for the captain? Gee whiz, this is the Confederate flagship, the finest ship in the fleet with the very best crew. And yet there are all kinds of blunders going on here all the time. It makes me wonder about what must happen aboard the worst ship in the fleet. That would be the U.S. Dungway, commanded by Captain Michelle Bachman. She's so stupid and incompetent that her entire crew either quits or gets beamed into space during the course of each mission. Nobody really drives the ship either. It just careens sideways out of control around Confederate space, leaking drive fluid and officers and not really getting much done. In a way, it's more of an avant-garde outer space art project than anything else. So as usual, I trust we're not going to actually relieve the captain of command. To tell you the truth, I've given up on that anyhow, since, since then you'd take over and I'd draw some unspeakable assignments to the ion potter cleaning out the poop deck. And no doubt, without even being issued any space gauntlets. Hey, I hadn't thought of that one. I might have to make a note of that. Well, that's right, Pearl. You can just restrain your power lust. The captain's not going anywhere. So, Willard, seeing as though you're still the captain, should I have Mr. Welsh reel back in the engine core? Sure, mister. <laughs> reel away. <laughs> Let me know if he brings up anything else, like an Andickian swordfish or something. Captain, we've got the drive pulled in and half installed already. Holy cow, Mr. Welsh really took some initiative today. I take it that the ship's bar hasn't opened yet. No, it's open all right. I just, um, passed by it on the way here. <laughs> you know, Captain, speaking as one chief executive to another, if you're having some trouble with your subordinates, and if some may be getting out of hand or over-motivated by conscience, whatever that is, then there are things that can be done. Say you want to turn over the whole can of worms up here and bring in some new men. Some good men that you can trust. Some that will keep your priorities on the front burner. I've got this hatchet man, Commander Bork. He'll do pretty much anything you want. He rightfully believes in the unitary executive and in the supreme power of one unimpeachable... <coughs> unimpeachable commander. If you need someone fired, he'll do it. 
If you need a legal opinion that pretty much justifies whatever unconstitutional power grab you have in mind, he'll do that too. He likes everything you say. Hey, that's Bobby. <laughs> it sounds like he's a real right-handed man. A real throwback to a simpler time. A time of unquestioned loyalty. It's king and country, and mostly king. <laughs> Send him up to my suite of quarters sometime after dinner. I'll see what he can do for me, and maybe we'll have him measured for a pinstripe spacesuit. Now, where are we with the plot of this episode, Mr. Sulu? Um, Captain, the estimated time of our rendezvous with the U.S. Holy is 15 minutes. Another thing about Bork. He's got a crazy little goat beard. If you pull on it, the hair on his head gets shorter. It's incredible. I once threw off my Secret Service detail, took a car, and picked up Jackie Glisson, just so that he could see it for himself. He wouldn't have believed it otherwise. And who could blame him? It's just not natural. It would appear that the U.S. Holy is in orbit around the planet's Pactarius Five. According to the ship's computer, nothing is known about the planet, other than its name, which on its face is pretty strange. I mean, really, how come we always seem to know the names of these unknown worlds without having any other information on them? I mean, how the hell does that work? Anyhow, the atmosphere of Spectarius is composed primarily of oxygen and nitrogen, and coincidentally occurring in the same ratios as they are found in our own home studio. Oh yes, it's Hodgkin's Law of Amenable Atmospheric Composition. It saves the studio the expense of providing us with expensive futuristic environmental suits to wear when we beam down to a planet. We're close enough to scan the starship now, Captain Willard. There are no life readings aboard. It's apparently just a ghost ship. A ghost ship? Oh my god, that's terrifying. But not quite as terrifying as it would have been if, if it were a ghoul ship. I mean, at least ghosts don't try to suck out your brains, do they? Which ghouls are they? Is one of them General Pinochet? He really turned the economy of Chile around, especially for himself and some of our mutual ghoul friends. Isn't that right, Henry? Oh, I thought Kissinger was here someplace. There's no such thing as a ghoul ship, for corn's sake. They've all been decommissioned. <laughs> Better arm the photon torpedoes. That is, just in case it is a ghoul ship, after all. <laughs> um, aye, aye, sir. The photon torpedoes are armed. Captain's Loge, play date Thursday the 15th of September. <laughs> you know, Anne and I have a special box reserved in the theater. It's conveniently located right at the front of the upper level. In the old days, those boxes were reserved only for royalty and aristocrats. But now anyone can buy one. That's democracy. <laughs> we're having King Radipinoido the 14th as our guest on the 15th. Or maybe that's King Radipinoido the 15th as our guest on the 14th. Anyway, I can hardly wait. He spits egg-sized rubies into golden spittoons just so that he can hear them ding. Sometimes he lines up 12 spittoons all of different sizes so he can play a little tune. Ding, ding, da, ding, da, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> it's incredible. Old Radipinoido manages to remain fabulously wealthy while his subjects are a massive, poverty-stricken, and diseased hulks. He must be doing something right. 
Oh, yeah. On board the Free Enterprise, we are responding to a distress call from our sister starship, commanded by a brother officer, and one that answers to the same most holy father. <laughs> Captain, we're now in visual range of the U.S. Holy. Thank you, helmsman. I'll start pretending to see that on the screen right now. Well, it sure doesn't look damaged. I don't think that she was in a fight. I say, it's a gleaming white ship, the pride of this Caucasian service. But you say there isn't a soul on board, not even any ghouls. What could have happened to them? Could they have eaten themselves completely out of house and home and ship and brains? <laughs> Those poor ghouls. Perhaps we have some cans of brain chow left in the storeroom. We always had a few cases on hand for Lieutenant Cover Black, although I, th I think he preferred freshly picked brains. Mr. Stephanie D., go have a look and see what's in the larder. Willard, could you get off the ghoul kick? We're talking about your friend Captain Ashcroft. We're trying to figure out what in the blazes happened to him and his crew. Well, maybe they found a particularly rude statue, and the entire ship's complement had to beam down to make extensive tricorder videos of it. <laughs> Or maybe they found a brothel. Now that would take a lot of extra time and manpower, especially for the religious types. I say, I say, Captain. Perhaps you could beam me down to the heart of the disturbance. I could start doing some of my Christian Brotherhood-type certified counseling. I could get those wayward sinners to slowly wean themselves off their diet of whiskey and prostitutes. It should only take about five years' time. I say, it'll take a lot of payoff money, too. But I'm confident that it could all be done on the quiet. Captain Willard, I've been able to tap into the U.S. Holy's log recordings. Please put it up on the screen, Mr. Ned, so we can all enjoy it. Captain's log, stardate 5342739285. No, wait a second. That might be my pastor's home phone number. Or maybe it's my investment broker's number. No, it can't be that. My investments are broken. So anyhow, this is Captain John Ashcroft reporting. About an hour ago, we picked up a distress call from the planet Spectarius 5. Since we weren't sure if the Confederation had any bases this far out, we decided to go in and investigate. We initiated a standard orbit around the planet. Everything looked peaceful enough. While we were there, we thought we'd scan the planet for illicit lewd statuary. I mean, what the hell? There wasn't anything good on Holy Vision that night anyway. After a few minutes, Lieutenant Gudan reported that our own scanning beams are being reflected right back at us by some unknown intelligence on the planet's surface. And consequently, we found a few illicit statues and some very rude tricorder videos in the captain's cabin. Of course, I only had those for research purposes. Oh my god, no! That isn't... Yes, it is! It's... It's a... The log tape ends there. Obviously, with kind of a cliffhanger. Now, did I hear that right? Did he say that he was researching purposes? No, that's probably just garbled. I didn't think that Ashcroft was capable of doing anything that useful. Captain Willard, we're just now being hailed by someone on the planet. It's coming in on an unusual frequency. One of the ones that's really high up on the tuning dial. 
Pipe it down here, Mr. Ned. Aye, sir. I guess I'm a plumber now. Free Enterprise. This is Captain John Bizzleby Ashcroft. Am I addressing Captain Romney? His middle name is Bizzleby? Who knew? <laughs> Hi, John, you devout space dog, you. We see your ship in orbit here. She seems impressively clean and ghoul-free. Thanks, Mitt. I appreciate that. It's been a challenge to keep the secular graffiti off of her. You know how it is. <laughs> a righteous man's servant's hand is never very far from the scrub brush. So how is every little thing, John? Well, not too great, Mitt. My entire crew is dead. We came down to this planet and super-powerful aliens forced them one by one to sing songs that were 50 times higher than a normal human vocal range. Of course, you know that frequencies that high destroy brain tissue pretty effectively. Anyway, enough about me. How are things with you, Matt? You're still in command of the Free Enterprise, I see. I guess you haven't managed to jettison the Warp core again since we last saw you. That's good. The less said about that, the better. Captain Ashcroft, you said that your entire crew is dead. Why are you still alive? Well, obviously these aliens must be gentlemen. And they recognize the unwritten rules of aristocratic privilege. I mean, yes, kill all the crewmen and junior officers if you must. This is war. But the top officers, corporate executives, and maybe a few of the top clergy on both sides must be preserved. If you don't do that, how could you possibly expect to get some future war going? Pearl, sorry to dash your hopes, but nobody here is talking about war. Listen, I can't talk anymore. The head prefect, Mr. Figram, has to use the phone. You better just beam on down here, Captain, and find out for yourself what the story is. You're an expert corporate negotiator. Maybe you can get me out of here! <laughs> Very well, John. Let's say that I'm intrigued. Mr. Ned, assemble a landing party in the transporter room. We'll bring the doctor, Mr. Pearl, yourself, and of course me. <laughs> hey, now that wasn't too hard. I guess not. You just pretty much named the three officers that were standing right in front of you. Oh, and Captain, please don't forget to bring down your chief engineer. The Spectorians expressly said that they wanted him to come down. They assure me that they don't have any nefarious designs on him or anything. They just really wanted to meet him. Well, be sure to do that thing, Captain Ashcroft. Run me out! Well, what do you know? It seems like our Mr. Welsh has his own little interstellar fan club. <laughs> sure, we'll bring him along. Maybe we'll have the ship's replicators turn out some fan merchandise in order to capitalize on Mr. Welsh's popularity. Yeah, we can probably bring in a nice tidy profit on this trip. Excuse me, sir, but according to Captain Ashcroft, the Spectorians intentionally killed the entire crew of the U.S. Holy. What makes you think they're going to treat us any different? They may torture us in their strange and bizarre alien ways and then get a little too carried away by their success in getting me to do or say everything they want and then kill us and me and, and me... Don't worry, Pearl. They'll probably decide to keep you around, if only to use you as some kind of living grease can. <laughs> well, Mr. Pearl, I've also decided to take Mr. Stephanie D. with us. So if there are any death rays fired at us, he can do his part and absorb them all. <laughs> he survived a little past his kill-by date anyway. 
He's starting to fry around the edges some. Aren't you, Mr. Stephanie? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. He doesn't have a speaking part today. guys, it's Captain John Ashcraft of the U.S. Holy, and it looks like he's going to greet us with a song. Oh, great. Let's let the eagle fly or some other wimpy pop dribble. Was that the song on the B-side to Let the Eagle Fly? It was terrible. Did he marry an avant-garde Japanese artist or something when we weren't looking? This definitely marks a rather large departure for him. Of course, in my opinion, his musical style could have only improved. Well, I'm sorry if you don't like it. We can't all be blessed with good taste. I personally thought that he really captured something there. With our help, of course. You know, the style was inspired by one of your own countrymen. Yes, a few hundred years ago, we intercepted one of your primitive space probes. We were delighted to discover that there was an old-style photograph record fastened to the side of it. Well, then it must have been severely damaged. Either that or you were playing it backwards. No, I don't think so. The directions on how to play it were clear enough. The tune we liked was by a certain Mr. Anthony Braxton. Well, I guess they weren't playing it backwards, then. That's what happens when you allow liberal, secular, atheist types like Carl Sagan to choose what Earth music gets nailed onto our space probes. They get all inclusive and multicultural and stuff, and decide to use Tibetan Lama's bizarre throat warblings. They also insist on including African Bushmen, too. It's not music at all. They're just pounding out mind-numbing polyrhythms and disrupting some colonialist safari lunch break. Ugh, what a racket. 
Are you sure that llamas can sing? I want to hear that record. <laughs> the Confederation only puts Kate Smith records on all of its space probes. So far, we haven't gotten any complaints. Oh, yeah? Just wait until some humongous alien craft threatens to destroy the Earth if we're unable to produce Kate Smith on demand. You'll know what you've done then. We could just throw Ethel Merman at them. It might take them a while to figure out the difference. And in that time, I could get away. I mean, we could get away. I see. How's that now? Don't you know that Mrs. Merman is all dead? Oh, but aren't you clever? It might just work better if she's dead. <laughs> Lord above, they wouldn't come back in a hurry. We might just throw Al Jolson at them, too. There's no business like show business like no business I know. <laughs> Silence now, all of you. Now that song that you just heard Asfloss render will be the featured track on a new upcoming album, the working title of which is The Hilarious Spaceman. Oh, yes, where are my manners? In all of the excitement, I completely forgot to introduce myself. I'm Alianus Figra. This is the planet Spectarius. We welcome you here, Captain Romney, and we are happy to extend our hospitality to all of your officers, and especially to you, Mr. Welch. I say, Askoff, you were right. He seems like he would be a fine engineer. Well, of course I'm an engineer. What's this all about? Soon all of your questions will be answered. Don't think me rude, but I have to leave you for a few minutes. I have to check the latest Astro Billboard post to see how we're doing on the charts this week with our latest release. We did that one with an abomulin engineer. I expect that we'll probably have to kill him. I'll be back shortly. Amuse yourselves in the meantime. Do check out some of our Spectarian instruments. But don't touch that banjo, Doctor. The strings, when plucked, emit an electrical charge of 40 million volts. We find that we get some excellent high end out of both the instrument and the player that way. Assos, show them around. You can talk to them in that amusing voice that you have. This place is delightful. Remind me to spend my next nightmare here. For once you and I agree on something, Mr. Ned. Captain, can't we just beam out of here while Figram is off stage and otherwise occupied? Don't even bother trying. They've got this place so hooked up with euphrenic energy that no transporter beam is powerful enough to break through it. Euphrenic energy? Now what the hell is that? It sounds like something that some hack of a sci-fi writer made up himself in two seconds, all because he didn't want to bother to look up something real. Kind of like the planet Quasti. Honestly, you'd think that even unpaid writers could do better than that. Euphrenic energy is essentially telekinetic energy, her energy generated by supercadrofragilistic brain neurons. We've seen something like it before, on, um, the planet Quasti. Obviously, in the case of the Spectarians, this ability has been taken to extreme. This is fascinating. John, how did you end up here in this strangely musical place? Well, Mitt, 
We were engaged in a routine survey, collecting information on planets that may harbor obscene statuary. The U.S. wholly entered orbit around Spectarius V, and we began scanning the one major metropolis on the planet. Science officer Joe Hova reported the presence of a vile statue which was flaunting some particularly offensive alien gonads. And so we beamed down to get a closer look. It's always amazing to me how some of these yet-to-be-contacted planets take advantage of their obscurity in order to break our laws and embarrass us. I mean, what if it was somebody's mother that was on board that ship and did the scan that found those gonads? I mean, gonads. Exactly. So we did our best to cover up what we could with our Confederate censor tape. And then we spread out to look for other obscenity crimes. It was only then that I bumped into Figram, who turned out to be the leader of the entire planet. That happens a lot on the show. It's just about guaranteed that if you beam down to any planet, among the first three random people that you're likely to meet will be the planet's ruler. What are the chances? (laughs) Did you explain to him the godly mission that you were on and give him the opportunity to redeem himself by yielding to God's law and surrendering himself for punishment? Yes, sir, yes, indeed. And he responded with using an up-to-that-point undisclosed secret kinetic ability to make me slap myself in the face over and over again. It really made my face sore. But, John, then did he start forcing you to sing? And, and why such strange, dissonant tunes? Why not one of your big hits like Let the Eagle Soar? Don't you think I wanted to sing that? I tried, but they wouldn't let me. I've got other songs, too. One about the Statue of Liberty called Using My Liberty to Keep It On. But no, they didn't want even to hear the first few bars of it. They just crawled inside my brain and made me spout out this horrible noise. So modern, so obscene. I must admit, I've been to many worlds and I've heard many kinds of indigenous music, and this stuff is as bad as any. It's comparable to Georgian bagpipe polka music with dual banjo leads. Asloth, where are your manners? Whispering in the corner with Mr. Welsh's friends while I am freshly returned and waiting for the valued opinions. Please, please, all of you come over here. And help us troubleshoot the problems with this mix on Astos's new song. Mr. Welsh, in your opinion, what are we doing wrong? Should we be compressing the vocal track more? Or perhaps we're compressing it too much? Dynamics are important. I think I recall hearing that. It's not so much the compression. It's that you have the gate pegged at the highest setting. It's cutting off half of the bizarre noises. I mean, vocal stylings of Captain Ashcroft. Also, the bass instrument, whatever it is, was completely lost in the mix. How do you expect your people to be compelled to come onto the dance floor without an insistent bass line thumping them to the very core? Exactly. Well said, Mr. Welsh. And so, can we, uh, get you to come over to the mixing bar? And perhaps even entice you to accept it as your permanent post? You wouldn't be sorry. Among the benefits of being a friend of the Spectarians is to, um, stay alive for another day. And to receive the engineering credits on all of the radical recordings that you work on while you are alive. 
<laughs> well, congratulations, Mr. Welsh. Apparently, the Spectorians must be familiar with your drunken caterwauling in the Eddington tube. Well done, mister. I'll have one of our stalwart lieutenants contact Starfleet and request your transfer right away. Indeed, it's a shame to lose you, Mr. Welsh. We will miss your ability to remind us of what the mechanical limitations are of the free enterprise, usually on a minute-by-minute basis. Captain, honestly, we did not expect this generosity. Usually, when we lure in an alien starship, detain their officers, and attempt to, I think you'd call it, Shanghai their chief engineers, those alien commanders have been less than cooperative. Some have even entertained us by mounting a heroic challenge to our authority. Oh, to see their brave dying faces. You, on the other hand, are a different kind of leader altogether. You can say that again, fella. <laughs> Actually, we were planning on cutting the position of chief engineer. It's all part of Confederate downsizing. In fact, our downsizing consultant, Lieutenant Bonya, advised us to let go of the ship's entire engineering team. <laughs> it turns out that we don't really need them to drive the ship. There's all kinds of buttons on the bridge that can manage that just fine. Who knew? And by carrying through with all those redundancies... The Confederation will have loads more cash on hand to do really important things, like hire more high-priced military consultants, or pay the ones that they already have even more. Captain Willard, we actually do need an engineer to maintain the correct intermix ratio of matter and antimatter, and to do about a thousand other things that keep our ship from becoming just a gigantic bomb with passenger compartments. Didn't you learn anything from last week's ill-advised laying off of every officer that works on the environmental control deck. I see. I don't think that that was so ill-advised, Mr. Ned. There ain't nothing about the environment that needs controlling. We leave that work to God Almighty and to the petroleum industry. Actually, it was kind of fun when the artificial gravity stopped working. At least it was for the first eight hours. Oh, yeah. I did have some unexpected trouble with peristalsis. <laughs> it turns out I have two of those. I also had some trouble keeping my hair in synchronous orbit. <laughs> well, I guess maybe we shouldn't be too quick to sell our chief engineer friend after all. At least, not on the first bid. Who knows, maybe the Motownians might want a bite. Hey, I recall now, Captain. That's when those men floated in and incorrectly installed the stepping machine in the sickbay. Good callback, Doc. I had forgotten all about that plot thread. Just to spell it all out for you, Willard, assuming it's not in our interest to go up in the biggest blast since the last sun exploded on this television channel, we actually do need our chief engineer, even with his eccentricities. I say if we lose, Mr. Welsh, who's going to play the bagpipes at the funeral services for the various Mr. Stephanies that we have such a propensity for burning through? Captain, there's no way I'm going to stay here and turn into some kind of fetching carry Poppinjay puppet. Like they made a Ashcroft, that's what they did. This is a bad dream. Hey, I heard that. I'm just over here, you know, cleaning the spittoons of my tie. Very well, Mr. Welsh. I guess that the free enterprise can't spare you after all. <laughs> I'm sorry, Mr. Figram. You'll have to make do with a junior officer. Or how about a bunch of them? We can send you down a whole set of three Mr. Stephanies, each wearing a different color shirt. I was hoping not to get unpleasant with you, Captain. 
at least not until the climax of this episode. But you are beginning to try my patience. Perhaps you need another demonstration of our superiority. Captain, my hand, it's out of... Oh, I just... It's out of control. I, I just slapped myself in the face, and it really hurt. Oh, I'm doing it again. Oh, and again. Oh, hey, these are going to leave marks. Maybe we should cooperate with the spectators after all. That is seen as though we clearly share some fundamental values. Oh, oh. It's the android president, Nixon. Why in tarnation is he beaming on down here? <laughs> Mr. Nixon, sir, why are you here? I thought I left you or somebody <laughs> in command of the ship. Simply put, I was summoned by the leaders of this planet. I responded to an irresistible urge created by powerful beams of euphrenic energy and directed to my sainted motherboard. It was compelling me in the strongest manner to come down to the planet and to play some folk music on this space guitar. Well, now the Spectarians are going too far. Folk music. I see. He's a Republican. You can't force music out of him. It'll be terrible. It's a bit out of tune. Just one minute here. Wow, he has a built-in guitar tuner. No, he's like a Swiss Army president. That sounds better. Ah, that's that's more like it. I wonder if he has a bottle opener, too, and a ah. hole punch. Come, come, Doctor. Your President Nixon is fully capable of entertaining us for hour after hour, even for days on end. Why, his ion batteries can drive all manner of quick-picking and fun-strumming. I want to dedicate this little number to a woman who probably isn't here today. I never could get her to come to any of my music jobs. But what's the use in dwelling on it? That was so long ago, before I even thought about running for the presidency, or scheming about what I could do in that high office. Attend me, young candidate, there are things to be learned. Respect won't come easy, no, it has to be earned. I said to the mother, you know, she was so stern. Had I paid her more mind, I would have never been burned. Oh, oh, I would have never been burned. Now I am Dick Nixon, a strange type of bird. In some certain quarters, no more worth than a turd. This foulest brown rapper looks a great mind for sure. Expletives deleted, we tack this bitter old cur. Oh, oh, this bitter old cur. Oh, this bitter old cur. Once I was the leader of this, the free world. Papa Stick in his office. Everyone would have heard Watergate compelled me to go open the door 
The same one to China that I shot years before. Oh, oh nailed it shut years before. Oh, oh, nailed it shut years before. How can we let this go on, Captain? Oh, yeah, this is an hour long show. So listen, young candidate, you'll need something to do. Find your own Whitaker Chambers and his sky to screw. Oh, yes, reds aren't the thing now, it's terrorists, that's right. Try indicting some dead guy, you know they'll never bite. Oh, oh, they'll never bite. Oh, oh, they'll never bite. Oh, oh, dead guys never bite. Well, that wasn't too bad, Mr. Dixon. So dark and full of regrets you are. Why, if you played another song, it would surely melt your neurocircuitry. Well, no matter. Once you've been destroyed, we could always convert you into another present. How about that charming Mr. Wilson? Does he mean that guy from Dennis the Menace? When the hell was he ever president? I say, if they could do that to a man of tin... Whatever could they do to one of God's children of flesh and cracker? Honestly, Doctor, I'm just dying to find out. Now, Mr. Ned, I believe that you alone, out of all our little party here, actually sang professionally at one time. Still, you probably never sang what was truly in your heart. I think that we'll give you the chance to do that here today. I think that it may provide us with great entertainment. Please proceed. But his heart is really sarcastic. Believe me, it's no fun to listen to it. I'd rather hear that disturbing Ashcroft number again. It's too late for that. It has been decided. Mr. Ned, sing us something to the tune of that fabulous song from the musical Dim Doing Young Quasar. That was a musical? I thought it was just a quasar. Captain, maybe I'd better just agree to stay and mix the songs for them. Listening to an android president sing is one thing, but now hearing woeful refrains yelped out by some poor confederate beastie is more than I could stand. Yelped out? Hey! Well, no matter what they make me sing, you're not staying. Now, Mr. Ned, that's hardly polite. Perhaps I should busy you with spectarian vocal exercises instead. And I regret to inform you that no... Off-worlder has ever survived such an undertaking. You see, the ultra-high frequencies actually shred alien brain tissue. I say, I can't believe that anyone could possibly do something like that to one of God's creatures. You people are horrible devils! But perhaps we could come to some kind of mutual understanding here. In fact, maybe we can do some mutually advantageous house-treating. Hey, watch it, Beauregard! We can give up our engineer in exchange for your secret ways of turning vocal cords into deadly sonic weapons. I say, just imagine what weapons like that could do to the clean towns. Later, Doctor, later. Let us first listen to Mr. Ned's heartfelt song. Great. I'm probably not even going to get paid extra for this.
1940s type background singers. Where did you get them, Figram? We got them from the 1940s, of course. Now, Mr. Welsh, are you prepared to, let's see, how would you say it, sign on the dotted line? I've got my orders, Spectarian. I'm not staying. You'll just have to do your worst. Well, Engineer Welsh, I thought that we had done our worst already. It doesn't matter. I see you're still unmoved. Maybe your own captain's crooning will sway you. <laughs> well, it wouldn't be unheard of. People from my church just seem to have a way of persuading others to do things through the magic of song. What? Do you mean you could persuade someone to do something other than to leave the room? <laughs> oh, Ned, you know that the Osmond brothers and that big tabernacle choir of ours once teamed up and used the magic of melody to convince David Clayton Robespierre and his anarchist legion of chimney sweeps to spare the life of the young French prince, which just happened to be a talking dolphin. <laughs> that same aquatic monarch later led France and Mongolia into 500 years of war and prosperity through the introduction of genetically modified walnuts. They kept them all in a large wool sack called a Bastille. What are you talking about, Willard? Did you have to believe everything that anyone with a beret and a striped shirt told you in France? Captain, I'll stay if you order me to. But I've had a look now at the alien mixing board, and I don't like what I see. There's no faders or pan controls. In fact, the whole thing looks like a drop of blue jelly to me, and it makes no sense at all. I'm surprised at you, Mr. Welsh. The controls on our mixing board are completely intuitive. 
You should be able to use your own limited kinetic powers to alter the mix. If you can't do that, then you may just be defective. And perhaps you'll have to be destroyed after all. I know. Let's give you a little test. During the captain's song, we'll see if you could master the mixing technique that our race perfected millennia ago. Captain Rum, let's hear a little something dredged up from your hidden core, shall we? I was hoping to get in a big core dump anyhow. Here we go. Testing, testing. One, two, three. Check, check. This is a microphone check. Hello, hello. Testing, one, two, one, two, three. (laughs) What the hell is he doing? I assure you, Captain, the sound amplification is working. We can all hear you just fine. Just proceed with your song. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, testing, testing. One, two, three. <laughs> uh, Captain's log. <laughs> One, two, three. Just start the music, will you, Spectarian? Otherwise, we might not get to our executions on time.
some plans. Ah, it's been a while since I really belted one out of the park. You know, it really felt good. Ah, yes, coming home in the small hours with banjo dust under my fingernails and tomato pulp in my nostrils. <laughs> Those were the days, my friends. I thought they'd never end. <laughs> I'm not sure what era you had a singing career in, but whichever one it was, you probably crashed and burned it. Captain, that was really outstanding. And Mr. Welsh, I'm glad to see that you've become proficient at working our board. You perfectly accentuated the grating nasal qualities in your own captain's voice. Well done. Now, Mr. Welch, I'm deliberately not going to repeat our entreaties for you to remain among us. At least not right now. First, I wanted to hear the doctor's contribution. Well, doctor? I say, I say, oh boy. I must admit, I'm not the type that shies away from his turn-at-the-microphone device. Give it here, Mr. Alien, sir. I'll put it to some good redneck use. Why doesn't it surprise me that he's a big ham bone? How come he gets an intro song with fancy backup singers? It was we that lost our freedom When our battle flag folded on the line I say it was we that lost our property The government never repaid us nor did they try Reparations for our kind The poor forgotten gentry Our culture left to rot on the vine Bye-bye freedom There it goes to someone lost our liberty The freedom to make what you do a filthy crime But now we put forward legislation No longer gonna fund your wretched lives Now the sound 
<laughs> that was great, Doc. I think I understand now just what your people went through back then when your freedom to own other people was taken away from you. Personally, I can't imagine giving up anything of value. <laughs> I admit, it's a pretty far-fetched notion. Indeed, Doc. It was such a very touching song. I'm just so happy that your people were able to overcome. I can't for the life of me believe it, but I think that I've got the hang of these controls. It's like Vigram said. It's all done with our mind. If you just think about where you want the levels to be, it happens. I cannot comprehend it. Tell me that you're responsible for that, Mix. Now let's have a song from the only member of your party that we have yet to hear from. You know, I don't think that Mr. Stephanie D. even has a speaking role today. Isn't that right, Stephanie? See? The network probably won't pay him to sing either, I bet. Isn't that right, Stephanie? <laughs> no answer. It's like he's already dead. Very amusing, Captain. But I was referring to Mr. Pearl, of course. You need a song from me, too? But what if you don't like it? Then we will most certainly kill you. And if I flat out refuse to sing? In that case, by my reckoning, you will die three and a half minutes earlier than you would have had we not liked your song. I guess then show me to the stage. Brace yourself. This is gonna hurt.
Hey, I think they like me. I'm a hit. I guess I'll be dealing with my phenomenal success for some time to come. Whatever corner of the galaxy I travel to, adoring fans and hangers-on will mob me and try to bask in my brilliance. Children will be named for me on worlds that I never even thought of. Civilizations that have yet to be born will speak in languages that have yet to be spoken. And they will voice praises to me that I will never even hear. But somehow I hear them now in my own brain. Oh yes, and obviously, wherever I do go, I'll be greeted with flowers and candy. Sure you will, you deluded bastard. Well, Mr. Welsh, what is your decision? Will you remain here in Spectarius and be our sound engineer? Captain, what do I do? What do I say? <laughs> Mr. Welsh, Mr. Figram, you know, the more I think about it, the more I think that Mr. Welsh should stay on here. And we should all stay here with him. I've convinced myself that I like what has happened here today. It was like a big tent old-time talent show. And it seems that we all have talent. Other contemporary TV shows have degenerated into musical acts. Why shouldn't ours? We'll stay here for a week or two, get our numbers down real tight, and then light out on a tour through the Milky Way. It could be sponsored by the Spectorians, and by the good people at Milky Way. Are you out of your asteroids, Willard? What do you think, that we're the Brady Kids or something? We can't just start singing today, and then have our own TV special the next day. All of you remain here? And all alive? Captain Robin, once again you've presented us with a unique quandary. We've never had any of our guests like the things that we've made them do before. I'm starting to think that Captain Asswaft and his late crew were not accurately representing your Confederate society. Prefect, the Free Enterprise is the flagship of the Confederation. The crew is the finest in the fleet. Any feelings they have are feelings which every man jack of us in the rest of our space service prays every night to have. But most of us realize that as hard as we may try, we will never get to be where they are. That's the sad truth, all right. Stated by a guy who once lost an election to a dead guy. Well, I must say that I am speechless. So when do we start raking in the dividends from this little venture, Mr. F? <laughs> Since the entertainment division of Bane Galactic is now in a position to handle the management duties of our little troop, and your people are spearheading the promotional work, arranging the intergalactic tour, and handling the alien currency conversions, we'll be expecting to see some green stuff rolling in quite soon now. The currency conversion part is essential. I don't want to be paid in purple algae again like I was when I did some consulting work for the Zang Militia on Plupteen Hasbert 5. That stuff really stained my billfold. And no banks outside of the Plupteen Nebula would even accept it. I see, I see, Mr. F. Seen as though I am the primary draw and the most plausible recording artist in this little outfit, I was wondering if and I ought to negotiate a separate contract. I want it to be made perfectly clear that I want double what the horse is getting and at least ten times more than what the Jew is getting. I'd like to echo that, son of With all due respect to the good people at Bain Galactic, I too would like independent representation. I was, after all, the president. I think that I'm entitled to make at least a hundred times more than the horse, and something like fifty times more than the Jew. Did I say ten times? What I meant to say was sixty times more. You see, I have a hundred years of my ancestors' monetary deprivations to make up for. Of course, back home, I could easily get a million dollars for doing this sort of thing. 
or for making a phone call. Yes, I could get that. Gentlemen, let Bane handle your negotiations. We can make sure that both of you get paid way more than any horses, and even 60 times more than any king of the Jews. Captain Rock, now I see that we may have bitten off a little more than we can chew here. <laughs> yeah, you know, I hate it when that happens. It would be weird to spit it out back into the expensive china. But that's what table boys and silver puke trays are for. What I think we are trying to say is that we can't use your Mr. Welsh after all. So in other words, you are free to leave Spectarian space. As a matter of fact, please leave at once. <laughs> well, there is such a thing as breach of contract, Mr. F., if we're forced out of our tacit agreement, then we'll be expecting restitution. In fact, you will be legally obligated to pay us at least what we would have earned had our galactic tour actually taken place and was wildly successful. Our legal department can also make a solid case for you to be on the hook to immediately pay us ten years of our projected income. <laughs> and the really fantastic news is that my firm is completely responsible for those projections. There's no law like Final Frontier Law. Very well, Captain. We are prepared to pay you to leave us alone and to be on your way. Please just beam us over your invoice and we'll never speak to each other again. Ask Cross, show them to the futuristic door. Captain Romney, Mitt, can you take me with you? Please, I don't want to stay here for eternity singing their freakish alien music and being a fetching carry boy. Oh, and ask Cross. Stop and pick us up some soylent noodles after you've seen your friends off. And not so much hydrochloric sauce on them this time. You know how I hate it when I find a few of your half-dissolved fingers in my bowl. <laughs> Sorry, John. It seems like they still require your services here. But on the bright side, it looks like you will have time to concentrate on your music. You don't understand. They're not human. They can't feel like we do. They don't have... Bathrooms or golf holidays. Astroth, did you make this mess over here? Honestly, we can't take our eyes off of you for a second. I say, we feel for you, John. I mean, about as much as people completely void of empathy can feel for a pathetic, broken-down, sniveling wretch. But the captain knows best. That's why he's the captain, and not just some rich gentleman corporate farmer that may or may not ever have anything to do with outer space. Anyway, Ashcroft, at least you won't have to explain to Starfleece how you abandoned your ship, sat idly by while your entire crew was murdered, and then set out on a frivolous singing career. But don't worry, we'll tell them for you. Oh! Gee, Mr. Nixon, we haven't heard much from you about being able to leave Spectorius Five. It's just that for the first time since 1971... I was truly groovy. <laughs> yes, indeed. Singing songs is the path to good, wholesome cheer. Just as long as the music is not combined with alcohol. You see, alcohol just makes you only feel like you're happy and having a good time. Are we ready to go yet, Willard? Or is there any more of the end-of-the-show half-assed moralizing that you're obliged to plow through? No, I think we're just about finished here. Romney to Free Enterprise. Sulu here. Captain, are you all right? We haven't heard from you in about an hour. Do you need any assistance, sir? <laughs> no, Mr. Sulu. But I guess we forgot all about checking in with you today. 
So much for a Starfleet protocol. Mr. Sulu, five to beam up. No! No! You have to break me! I don't want to stay! 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 Wow! That's excellent! Do you think that's the beginning of a new song? It's way better than the other thing he performed earlier. It might be, Mr. Pearl. It just might be. already and here we are again hello yeah here we are for the lost september episode yes this is the october episode but for the october episode as a special treat we're going to be playing the lost september episode of this is big green which is a podcast that you are hearing now yes as we speak you are hearing it you are hearing it now. It is wonderful, is it not? So so this is a celebration. The, the harvest celebration. Yes. B- this is Big Green. And we have found the last episode. It got lost. Yeah, it was lost. Sometime not lost, a, forever lost. Not on Lake Tahoe this time. Yes. On a different other lake. On a different deeper lake. Yes, perhaps. Perhaps Lake Gichigumi. <laughs> <laughs> the big lick to go get you oh, we're starting at a very strange note joe so uh should we make our apologies apologies for the last episode of this is big green in which we yeah, I'd have to say that we probably do owe people an apology for that episode because it was yeah the so repugnant. Yeah, especially the Mister Ned. We would hope that they would not look upon us with repugnance. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we would hope that. We would hope that our audience would not look upon us with repugnance. Yes, yeah, so there is, there is that, and we kind of you know we poked fun at the Lord Reagan a little bit. Yes. Who is now departed, so we could feel bad about that. He has shuffled off his mortal coil. He helped many people to become departed himself before he himself was departed. Yes. He gave them the fruits of liberty from their their earthly bodies. (laughs) Yes. The ultimate liberty. He helped them. And almost helped all of us. (laughs) So that's it then. (laughs) Threatened one of us? Captured, no, it's captured, captured one, one of us, us threatened all of us. That's in there. That's it. Uh, thank you, Captain Pike. Yes, that was a message from Captain Pike Captain to Pike Ronald Reagan. saw our episode, and that was his reaction. He kept blinking no. 
kept blinking no, blinking no. Zip piece of Lincoln, Lincoln Joe. So, I guess since the last time we had a podcast, there, there was like almost a, a new war. <laughs> Yeah, that uh, that didn't happen. Um, yes, which is good, very good. There was kind of a a flaw in the Pearl brain. Yeah, of the Obama <laughs> administration. Yeah, Pearl was uh, Pearl was floating to the top. Pearl was uh, somehow. It's just like that Pearl commercial when it's floating to the bottom of the <laughs> bottle of shampoo. <laughs> oh yeah, well, this time it was floating to the top. Forgot about that commercial. Yes, Pearl. Yes, that was Prell. That was like from the seventies. Yes. And nobody remembers those things anymore. You know, everybody's I younger do. than us now, Joe. I and do. I was noticing that. You know the what's other really day. sad? And I was thinking this. This is how oh, much my really brain is sad. ruled by old television. Is when they announced the name of the new pope. The first thing I thought was, "Ooh, Francis." <laughs> yeah, well, you are fucking old then, because that was like Tootie and Muldoon. Car fifty-four. Where are you? Yeah. That was that show was be was before my time, Joe. Yeah, that's the song, right? That had the guy who played Herman Munster. In yeah. It later. Yeah, it had uh, Fred Gwynn. Yeah, Fred Gwynn. Yeah. Wow, Jesus, Joe. Yeah, that. and he was in with <laughs> and oh, yeah. What's his name? That's what my father would say if he were here today. Yes. He might say a lot of things. That would be one. <laughs> my father once called Fred Gwynn a big dope. Because I guess our my my father oh, was the manager right. of a of a tile store and and he and Fred <laughs> and Gwynn apparently was the Fred Gwynn became the spokesperson for Armstrong Tile. And right. my father said, No, nah, they got that big dope. <laughs> it's like <laughs> <laughs> that stuck with me somehow. <laughs> so much of what my father said stuck with me. <laughs> I got that big dope representing us. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's Herman Munster. He's not a dope. He's a he's an idiot. You know. I know. He it only could, played idiots. It's like it could have been Grandpa. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Al Lewis. He would have been excellent. I know. He was at a least socialist. he was a socialist. <laughs> Yes, and a green. Yes, he was freaking Green Party. That's right. He ran for governor of New York State, our very own state. Yes, on the Green Party ticket, ladies and, and I'm gentlemen. proud to say that I voted for him. I probably did too. Yeah, I couldn't wait to vote for Grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> vote for Grand. I think he even was referring to himself as Grandpa. Vote for Grandpa Munster. He's a socialist. <laughs> you forgot your safety helmet. <laughs> <laughs> I know. He was in an, this man? He was in an episode <laughs> of Lost in Space. So naturally, <laughs> he went straight to eleven, like yes. everybody did on Lost in yes. Space. <laughs> Put the cracker pots <laughs> up to eleven when you're on that show. <clears throat> It'll display my name in, in flaming, flaming lettuce. Light. That is. <laughs> <laughs> like these people that have New York accents in outer space. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. Dark it's a madhouse. A madhouse. A madhouse. I know what you mean, my rum. 
<laughs> yeah. So how did you like the um, episode of uh, Nedrick this time around? I thought it was great. Uh, the real one? The, the, the one, one we just Show played. Show of hands. The one we just played? Yes. Well, we don't get any feedback that fast. Show of hands. So far, we're the only ones. No, we're standing and we're watching. We're the only ones that, heard this, that have heard this podcast so far. I can see you all sitting out there. You said, uh, wait a minute. I'm the only one that has heard the episode of Nut Truck. You haven't even heard it yet. Because I edited it. I remember it well. Yeah, well, that's nothing, nothing, nothing. Nothing is nothing. Yes, well, you might notice that we're not playing any songs in this section of This Is Big Green because, Jesus, we played six songs as part of Ned Trek today. So, you hear what Joe's playing now? That is your song for this week. You hear that phone ringing? That is also your song for this week. It was a song... We call that song The Phone. Le Phone. Le Phone. Le Phone. <laughs> Le Phone. Phone. Le Phone. Le Phone. Et Fromage de la Phone. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's Cheesy Phone. I'm not sure. Fromage de la Fonte Phone. <laughs> I think I just said it's cheese on the phone. It's the big cheese. cheese. The big cheese is on the phone. It's a bomb. Hey, this thing's ticking like a bomb. <laughs> you say that every week. I know. Except for last month, you didn't because that episode was lost. Strangely lost. The lost episode. Yeah, sorry about losing the episode last month. I'm sure you were also disappointed. Oh, you're sorry. The truth is, <laughs> the episodes were getting later and later in the month until finally... It was getting to like to the point where Joe wouldn't post it until like the last day of the month, and so this time we the the month flipped. So we did a hearty what the fuck. <laughs> so we're hoping to uh, start towards the beginning of the month, and then we'll slowly lose time as the years go on. And by this time next year, we might have another leap, a leap leap year. So it's a neat year, month for us. Right. Yes. So this is, well, I hope this is worth it. That's a nice for. picture of your kitty, Joe. Look, she's looking through the banister. It's Sarah, little Sarah. That was a beautiful picture. That should be on television. I should post it on our Facebook page so everyone can enjoy so it. So everyone can enjoy it. So everyone can enjoy So what's new with the band Big Green, Joe? Well, the band Big Green is, uh, well, we're recovering from our last album. Um, <laughs> our latest recordings... Were included in the last episode of Netrek. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's not an album, Joe. <laughs> no, but it is six songs. That's six songs that were recorded at even faster than we recorded the the stupid yes Rick six songs. Six songs written specifically for the episode by unprecedented. Yes, and unprecedented in, in space in matter and time. Of yes, yes, and recorded probably. Marathon. I think. I, I, we had one session that was literally, I think, the most parts we ever put down on anything yeah. in one session. Yeah, well, you could probably tell by hearing the songs that we weren't very fastidious. We put down a bass part, a guitar part, two vocal parts. <laughs> yeah, we literally yeah. use our hour and 45-minute session <laughs> Yeah, to the best possible advantage. Most of it's Joe setting things up, too. It's like, oh, fuck, this doesn't work, and oh, yeah. no. Hey, what's wrong with this thing? Yeah, me plugging like the things microphone's together. dead, and then Joe's trying to 
make a new microphone out of stone knives and bearskins. That's right. No, my uh, mic preamp burned out a burned out a tube. He's a burnout. So I had to reroute it. We had to call the episode burnout. To go without. So the rich luster of Matt's voice is no longer. <laughs> I was in C, yes. We call that the Huna song. It's the Ifin song. <laughs> Sorry to bring that up. That was from Bewitched. That was Cousin Serena trying to sing. Singing. <laughs> I hit by a voice and a heart. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Voice and heart made the rounds of like all the yeah, sitcoms. They were, of they were like the the, the they, mid they, to late yeah. 1960s. Yeah, they were like the cheap television version of uh, you know I don't know uh, Chad Goffin and Jeremy. And, Goffin and James or something. <laughs> uh, Chad and Jeremy was another. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well they were on Dick Van Dyke. <laughs> yeah, they were. Or was it Chad and Jeremy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was Chad yeah, and Jeremy. I guess it was, yeah. Yeah, and they can't, played another. Can't. Yeah, they played they a had couple other names. Yeah. But they also mentioned Chad. Yeah, yeah. I go here, Chad and Jeremy too. They're pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> they were hilarious, with hilarious consequences. I'm telling you now. Oh well, that was the. Who the hell was yeah, that? that Herman was, and the Hermits yeah, or something. No, that was um. Well, that was doesn't. Freddy in the, he was Freddy flailing in the his arms like you can all Freddy see in that. The we should become a video podcast so then they can see all your gestures that only I can I'm see. I'm telling you now. Of course, then we'd have to wear special pants. Yeah, I don't want to get into special pants because yeah. <laughs> I got the wrong pants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Joe finally got to sing that. He finally got to say the words he's always wanted to say. Making it even worse than it was in the recording. Yeah, well. We're dispelling the myths that we know what we're doing. You see, that's <laughs> the it's the magic of podcasting. Uh, that uh, episode of Ned Trick was uh, recorded uh, probably a couple of weeks ago, and and uh, the songs were recorded before that. Yes, so like the week before that. Yes, and that song I think incredible. was one of the first songs that we recorded. So we <laughs> we literally played it once. Yeah. So. That's pretty typical for us, though. I mean, when, that's the, pretty much the way we record. Unlike other bands that like try things different ways, we just like try it the first way and we live with it. Yeah, we just flip. It's it like down any kind of imperfections in there. You just flip it out. Life's too short. So, yeah, it's, there's always the next. If, song. You know, if we had more time, but besides having full time jobs and 
<laughs> and having 42,000 volunteer projects between us. <laughs> yes. We can't. We, actually, when we were full-time musicians, we did it the same way, though. That's I think true. it's just because we're impatient and stupid. No, I'm impatient. You're I've, stupid. I've listened to some of the recordings from the 90s and the 80s, and the, you, you put some time oh, into oh. those. Put some time into those. Yeah, but I didn't. I would just start it once. I would never like say, "Oh, I got to redo this from the beginning because the rhythm is wrong." I'd like live with whatever. Yeah, I originally put. You in wouldn't there. do redos. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, we did a couple of redos, but yeah, there were. Much. Yeah, right. But we wouldn't really change the feel of something. Yeah, you know, like other real bands do. It's like I know. Well, it's probably because we're you know, if you're not, if you're like don't have a band and you're responsible for all the rhythm tracks that you don't really understand. <laughs> That's true. So there is that. Well, plus we're old as dirt. So we have like about five careers behind us. Yeah. Five periods of, of music career. <laughs> yep. From our earliest, strangest days to our strangest, earliest days. Yes. yes. And everything in between. There was the, Tim period and the Ned period and the the Winky period, the post Ned period, the Ducky period, the Ducky period. That's where we are now. Uh, I'm afraid to say. Oh, I'm afraid to say. I think we have to start like making up what voices we'll be doing in the next episode. Well, I'm time. afraid to say what I. <laughs> so I kind of sounded a little bit like Catherine Hepburn there, Joe. <laughs> I don't know what you mean. <laughs> Never realized how much John Hurt sounds like Catherine Hepburn. I know. They, strangely. <laughs> you similar. kind of merged them. Very good. Yes. Very good, Mr. Ears. Quite so. So, um, we should probably wrap this up since we already did... Wrap it up and tape. An hour and 13 minute episode of Ned Truck. Yes, yes. We already did an hour and 13 minute <laughs> episode of Ned Truck. Which yes. will also be going up on uh, the next space probe. We'll probably call that one the Kepler. Instead of the Huygens. Instead of the Huygens. The Christian Huygens probe. The Christian Huygens. Yeah. Or the Tycho. Yeah, the Tycho probe. That'd be a good name for a probe, Joe. That's Crater on the Moon, Joe. That's Crater <laughs> on the Moon. <laughs> It's another dadism. Is that the guy that was sitting next yeah, to you? They were watching 2001, <laughs> and, and, dad, and they were talking about how there, there was a base on, on Tycho or something. He was at a movie theater. Yeah, I was in a movie theater. and With uh, his father. With my father. How's your father? Yes, how's your father? And he said, he said they, they were talking about Tycho, and he said, Tycho's a crater on the moon, Joe. And I said, oh, yeah. And the guy sitting next to us had said, yeah, Tycho's a crater on the moon. <laughs> he said it to his <laughs> to son. His son, yeah. yeah. Joe must be tired today. He's leaving essential parts out of his story. So yeah, there was that's... this stupid guy with his own stupid kid, just like stupid dad with his stupid Joe son. <laughs> and, and the guy was just parroting Joseph. everything that my father said to Joe. He would parrot to his own little dweeb of a son, whose name was probably Todd. <laughs> <laughs> Dweeb like. It was little young Chuck Todd. <laughs> yeah, it was a young Chuck Todd. 
also known as fuckwad. Uh, can I say fuckwad on this show? I kind of forgot if we can swear. We swear, don't we? Chuck Do we <laughs> oh, yeah. I had a song that was called Big Todd Fool. That was back from the early 80s. Or maybe mid 80s. Hey, we should do that song. I remember my the the um, intervals. I don't mean like the you know steps on the scale, but I mean the the stops in it were like really uneven and yeah. <laughs> had a really hard time counting out the stops. It's like wait a minute, that that one's like seven beats <laughs> or sixteen, you know, plus one and a half. Like, what the hell? Big time fool. Okay, why don't we wrap this up? Okay, wrap it up. So we'll see you next month, unless we space that out too. In which case, we'll see you at Christmas time. It's time for us. It's time for us. It's time for us to go. It's time for us to go. It's time for us to go. It's time for us. It's time for us. It's time for us to go. It's time for us to go. It's time for us to go. It's time for us. It's time for us to go. Get me out of here. Get me out. 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 Oh, yeah. Time for some rock and roll. Time for rock and roll. Primary. Well, that's all we got. Thanks for joining us once again for the lost September episode of This Is Big Green. I can't believe that you can't buy a bass kazoo. I mean... Yes, we should be really do something about this. The bass kazoo is... Uh, I, and I tried looking for puppets, too, Joe. For, for fancy sock puppets with deluxe hair. God damn it. Can't this is Big it. Green. Find out more about us at big-green.net. Follow me at Big Green Joe. Follow them everywhere. Yeah.